Welcome to Good Business. This is Ryan Everton, and today we're interviewing Dmitry Orlov, author and blogger of Five Stages of Collapse. Um, I have uh, a public blog, and then I have a, a sort of semi-private one for uh, that I use for uh, more controversial things, uh, which is just for subscribers. Yeah. Uh, so that's two big articles a week, and then I'm working on a boat design where. Yeah. Hopefully, going to build the first hull later this year. We're finalizing the 3D model and uh, doing all of the engineering specification work. And the, the private blog, you do like that for your public blog as well? Well, um, I, I generally try to keep the two a little bit separate because uh, um, the, the public stuff is just basically the stuff that, that I want everyone to read. The private stuff has more controversial content in it, yeah. so I, I don't I don't really I want to have a relationship with the reader as opposed to just making it public. Yeah. Um, and is that and, pay and to view so, as well? Sorry. Is that paid to view? You have to pay to see the private one. Uh, yes, it's uh, it's one dollar a month, but uh, it, yeah. it works wonders in terms of face control, in terms of keeping out the riffraff. That's great. Well, give us your story mm -hmm. and tell me how you got into all this, because obviously you've got a lot of subscribers right now, and um, yeah. you grew up in Russia. Did you you move to the States as well, is that right? Uh, yeah, I grew up here in St. Petersburg, where I am now. I, yeah. I moved to the States when I was uh, uh, a teenager, um, and I, I lived in the States um, full-time pretty much until uh, the late 80s when Russia opened up, the Union fell apart and I was able to go back. Yeah. Ever since then I've been going back and forth uh, and now I'm back here more or less semi-permanently, although I do go do fly to the States every few months to and do various things. Because you've got family there, do you? Yes, I have lots of family in Russia. Oh, nice. And then, um, and you write a lot about the world and how it is and it's, a bit, it's quite a dystopian view of the world, isn't it? Well, uh, dystopian is sort of like the other side of utopian. I, I, I like to think that I'm, 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 I'm realist. Yeah. I, I just look, look at how things are really going. I, I don't like uh, people who sugarcoat reality to, to suit their commercial needs. You know, yeah. one, of, one of the, the things that really doesn't work very well either with uh, sort of political official media you know, government-sponsored stuff like the BBC or Russia Today or, yeah. you know, old Soviet Pravda is, you know, they, they present the picture that is politically palatable to, to the political elite. Yeah. And then the problem with commercial press is that they have to sell advertising. So they can't really run stories that put people off their shopping. Yeah. And, and, and so that, that really is the discussion. Is Steve Jobs' view of the world is that they're just giving people what they wanted, which is a far more depressing thought, right? Do you think that's well? True? No, it's it's a question of giving people what you want them to read in order for them to go out and shop. Yeah, it's not what the people shop? want. And they want to go shop. Well, once you convince them that that's the thing to do, once you uh, affect their self-image to the point where they feel that they're missing some commercial thing that they yeah. could obtain using money, then they go out and shop. And how did you get to this point? Were you at the point where you were shopping as well at one point and being subjected to a lot of it, or did you? 
Well, I think the formative experience for me was uh, seeing the Soviet Union collapse and everything that happened afterwards, and then flying back to the States after that, settling back in the United States and, and having the sudden realization that, you know, the United States is following the exact same trajectory as the Soviet Union was following um, just a, couple, a few decades delayed. Yeah. Um, and I sat on that information for a while. I did a bunch of research to, to confirm my facts, and my findings. And what made you feel that way? Oh, just a, a, I, I write about it in, in, uh, in, in one of my books. I call it the super, superpower collapse soup. Yeah. And it's all the same ingredients. It's sort of like making soup. Yeah. So you have a runaway defense budget. That's one big ingredient. You have runaway debt. Yeah. Uh, you have a stagnant economy that is unable to grow in any real terms. Yeah. Um, you have a, a, an entrenched political class completely incapable of reform and totally insulated from the effects of, of their own mistakes. Yeah. Um, th those are all uh, things that, that, that are right on the surface. And uh, right below the surface is the fact that, you know, both the Soviet Union and now the United, United States are facing major shortfalls in oil production. Yeah. Um, in, in the case of the Soviet Union, it was a fairly sudden effect. The, the oil prices dropped and, and, and the, the, the budget, the government budget, blew up. Yeah. In the case of the United States, it's a question of squandering uh, all of the savings and then going deeply into debt in order to continue to produce some amount of oil. Uh, it's it's light oil through fracking, so it's not exactly the right stuff. Yeah. In any case, uh, the United States continues to import uh, ridiculous amounts of oil. And, but that's what's Russia going to right now as well. Also, did I read that they are going into Antarctica and whatnot? Sorry? And Russia is going into Antarctica, is that right? Uh, not Antarctica. Um, uh, Antarctica is off limits internationally okay. to to uh, oil and gas exploration and other commercial use. Um, but, but the Arctic, the Russian Arctic, uh, thanks to uh, climate change, it has become much more accessible. Okay. Uh, the, northern, the, the northern route uh, through the Arctic Ocean is now open year-round, and Russia has a new icebreaker fleet that allows access to Yamal, which has a, uh, a peninsula in the, in the Arctic Ocean, which, which has a now a gigantic installation for liquefied natural gas. It's incredible, uh, isn't strange. it, what they do? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, now Russia is exporting natural gas to the United States, which has a shortage because of cold weather. Yeah. You know, the first, the very first tanker of natural gas from Yamal, from this new project that just fired up recently, went to the United States, went to Boston. It's crazy. And it's are we in, where do you see it going in like the next 10, 20, 30 years? Like, because at the moment, you, I don't think you, especially in Australia and New Zealand, you don't notice any trajectory going and any towards collapse, right? You know, everyone, I always remember reading in Five Stages of Collapse about, I'm pretty sure it was the book, and you wrote about it's better probably to have a Land Rover than it is to have an electric car, right? Mm -hmm. And. But I'd say 90% of people you talk to, I'd say what's the next best thing would be a Tesla. Uh, yes, that's quite ridiculous because, uh, you see, if people uh, converted to electric cars to any considerable, considerable extent, which hasn't happened and won't happen, yeah. then two things, will, two things will take place. First of all, the gasoline market will blow up. Yeah. So the demand for gasoline will drop. And since 
half of every oil barrel is made into gasoline. There are no other options. Yeah. Um, that will cause the price of uh, jet fuel and diesel and bunker fuel for ships to explode. The cost of doing business will double because of that. Yeah. Um, another effect of that is that the price of lithium for batteries will go through the roof and it will become impossible to make any more electric cars. So you will have the situation where everybody is broke because uh, prices have just basically doubled yeah. for everything. Uh, the prices of gasoline-powered cars will be basically ridiculously low. So uh, anybody who wanted a gasoline-powered car could just drive off off a lot, drive on off a lot, use yeah. dealers' lot for free, practically for free. Yeah. Um, and gasoline would be free as well because there would be so little demand for it. Also, the electric utilities would the, the rates would explode because everybody would be charging their cars instead of using gasoline. So just that one change, changing from gasoline cars to electric cars, will completely destroy the economy. And, like, do you think car companies think about this sort of stuff? Well, yes, are, because are they uh, electric cars... Are they, do they have full-time people, do you think, actually doing these studies? Well, no, you have to understand certain things. First of all, Tesla and, and Elon Musk is basically a fraud. It's a financial scam, a Ponzi scheme, almost Why? a pure Ponzi scheme, because none of it will ever work. You can pencil it out on, on the back of a pencil, uh, of an envelope that it will never practically work for and, all and of the, the reasons that, that I just stated. And the work is the, the reasons you've just stated, obviously? Yes. Yeah. So it'll never work. Uh, they're not doing it. The number of electric cars on the market is ridiculously low. The way they're going about putting them into production is, again, just you know, window dressing. Yeah. Uh, they're basically doing doing that as a financial swindle, not as anything else. Just for and all the other car. Sorry. Just for Eon to make money, for example. Yes, and, and a few of his friendly friends who are also investors. Yeah. Now, uh, other car companies, uh, Daimler, or, you know, others are jumping in uh, because they don't want to look like they're not doing anything. They also don't want to leave any money on the table. If Tesla can sell a few of these cars, why can't they? And also, there is a tiny market for electric movers? cars. Sorry. Do you think that's why the other car companies have been slow movers? You know, like a lot of people complain that they're taking a, you know, taking their time. Well, yes, they're moving as slowly as they possibly can. That's yeah. the, that's that's what they try to do. They try to keep up appearances. They yeah. they try to keep the green wash as you know as thick as possible yeah. while doing nothing. Yeah, that's their plan. Brave new world. Well, it's the same old world. Yeah, I mean, every, every generation has its windmills or solar panels or um, green this or or something else yeah. uh, just to. To use as window dressing so that they, they 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 can make industry look green. Industry is not green. Industry yeah. will never be green. And do you think everyone should, in your opinion, what would be in a, a, like a utopia world? I don't think there's a utopia world. I think that there's a way to muddle through and survive. Yeah. And I think there are lots of other ways to not survive at all. To to basically have no future for your children. Which is the current trajectory we're on, you're trying to say. Exactly. Um, what's, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, there is a lot of people in Australia, for example, Laura is one who won't have kids because she believes if she's having a kid, it's just making the world worse, right? And then you've got... Yeah. And, and in terms of marketing, I know a lot of marketers say that, 
like you say, it's just puffery, right? It's greenwashing. That 50% of the world think the world's going to get worse and 50% of the world thinks technology is going to save us and it's going to get better. And mm-hmm. on that, it's like everything's just a story, isn't it? But you don't, do you think there's actual fact, you know, you're, that what you're saying is true? And how do you know who's true? Because there's so much misinformation in the world, it's, you know, it's hard for anyone to know these days. Well, no, there are actually published facts that are studiously ignored by most analysts because the conclusions are not the ones that they're paid to deliver. Yeah. That's the world we live in now. The information is right there at your fingertips and it's just being ignored, steadfastly ignored by the people who are responsible, who are paid to process it and deliver it to the public. Yeah. And what... So how do you see, what do you think is going to happen? Are you going to build this boat and then jump on the boat? Do you think we all should go on the, on the boat? There's like sailing the farm, right? Which is the boats traveling the world, growing algae in their boats. Well, I, I think that a boat is a really helpful, um, helpful object, a helpful artifact from, from many points of view. Uh, it, it's very liberating. A lot of people, you know, including Australia, um, uh, spend a ridiculous amount of money on a place to live. Basically, they're, they're wage slaves working off uh, some box that they occupy. Yeah. Uh, most of them never get to own it because of uh, how the market operates. Um, you know, they get out of debt and then they go back into debt. What I do love about uh, but, your writing is your analogies. You know, bet, you know I, I think I just read one before about how... Um, you know, we see the iPhone or other certain things as technology, but really the, the dog is your best alarm. And the fact is, is these small things people kind of have ignored, right? And the, probably the reason for it is the marketing in the middle, is it? Well, the, 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 the gadget world, you know, the, the, the iPhones and all of that stuff, that's just to keep, keep people distracted. And also to insert technology between people so people don't get to communicate face-to-face so you can spy on all their communications and control it. And so that you have a servile, subservient population that won't do anything uh, because they're deadly afraid that their internet access will get cut off. But what's the point in doing that? Whoever it is, say it's the NSA or whatever, what's the point in them doing that, though? Oh, the point is uh, social control. To have a servile, subservient population that will do your bidding. And what value does that add, you know, add to a, you know, the pre- president of the USA or whoever it's going to be or Putin, you know? What's the point of having go sailing? What's the point of controlling the population? Yeah. Oh, you make money off of them. They're, they're, at that point, they're just your slaves. Which means you can buy and have nicer things and have a better life. Well, it's not that a particular person benefits from it. It's the entire technological system, the entire web of technology that benefits on. You know, basically, it, it's, a, it's almost like we have, not almost, but really, we have evolved another species in our midst. It's this, this technological thing, this entity yeah. that is more and more controlling. Yeah. And... Uh, the iPhone and, and the ubiquity of the internet is yet another method of control that it has. Yeah. It has it has already prevented us from growing our own food, from educating our own children, from constructing our own shelter, from doing all of these things on which we now depend 
uh, on commercial offerings. Yep. Uh, the last frontier is making sure that people can't communicate face to face, so that the only way people can talk is through Skype, as we're doing, or or uh, a cell phone or um, some social media app. You know, that's the new frontier to basically make sure that each person is siloed and boxed and can only get out if they pay. Just so they can consume more and make in the hire people whoever they are make more money. Well, actually, right now, the, the idea is to ephemerize everything. So you used to have to actually give people products uh, that were not particularly shoddy, that maybe lasted a generation. Yeah. You know, in the 50s, it was things like cars and washing machines that did last for quite a while. But now it's all services. It's yeah. uh, basically little overpriced gizmos that uh, allow you to access various things. Um, and, and so the idea is to have an ephemeral economy that doesn't really have any, any products. Everything is very shoddy, um, delivered just in time, made of plastic that doesn't last. Um, and, and the idea is to basically turn all the products that we have into services because services don't last. We get to sell them over and over again. And I always find it interesting, take Spotify, for example. You know, like most people feel like Spotify is cheaper but they essentially are taking a service of music now instead of buying a piece of music and then mm-hmm. spending more money. And they probably only listen to 120 songs max a year, right? That they've been listening to for the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of way, the way the world is moving towards, right? But do you think that's a better world? Most people would say that Spotify creates a better world than what was the world before. And the analogy, you know, the, whole philosophy that comes out of it is you're just adding value to people's lives to make everyone's lives better. And that's what we should be doing in the world, right? Do you feel like that's true? Um, no, not really. I think that um, what, what happens is people become passive consumers, uh, access to whatever information. And it's all just information, you know. It's all bits flying through the ether. If you make it sufficiently effortless, then... Uh, Making it effortless also makes it worthless. Yeah. Because in order to, in order to actually own something, to have something as your own, it it has to require effort. So if if you go on a, a, a hike through the mountains, for instance, uh, you actually put on boots and and you march, yeah. and and you get tired and sweaty, and then when you reach the the summit, you you have a sense of achievement. Uh, but if you're teleported there or dropped from a helicopter or whatever, there is no sense of achievement. You're just there, you take a look around, you get back in, and, and, and that's done. Well, that's what all of this ensures, is that nobody has invested anything in, in whatever they, they have access to, and therefore that access is, is meaningless. Same thing with music. If you buy sheet music and you learn to play it on the piano by yourself, you've invested in that music, it becomes part of you. If you just tap on a few things in Spotify and listen to it a few times, you got nothing. It's interesting, isn't it? Like, how do you feel you sit in this whole thing? Like, it almost, you almost feel like, what's the point in living, don't you? Oh, no, not at all. No? Um, I have my work cut out for me. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I have plenty to do. Um, well, I, mean, I just mean in general, like, I just mean in general, like, what, what's the point then for most people? Oh, well... What I try to explain to people is that there's plenty for them to do. It's just orthogonal to everything they've been taught about how to behave. So, you know, 
I'm surrounded by people who are telling their kids to, you know, do well in school, get into college, get a degree, um, start a career. By that, by then, it's almost too late to have kids, so you you, you spend money on on in vitro fertilization or fertility treatments just to have a kid, you know, tens of thousands of dollars a pop, and then you have these precious kids that you don't have any time for, so you you surrender them to nannies. Yeah. And, and keep keeping the rat race because the nanny is expensive, and then the kid grows up pretty much, you know, wild. And the you know, that's the path that they're told to follow. But orthogonal to that is the idea of just dropping out of school, getting whatever job you can, saving every penny, don't spend any of it, um, get a get a nest egg together, use it to buy farmland. Okay, get married, have kids, have farm with them. Okay, and and then you basically you know, bring up a, a bunch of farmers who will then farm that land from then on and, and become self-sufficient. Uh, so, that's just a completely different way of, of acting, and it's very successful. That's the thing. There's this, there's this way of behaving that is extremely unsuccessful if you look at the outcomes, and then there's an orthogonal to that, ortho, orthogonal to that a path that is extremely successful, that is followed by millions of people very quietly around the world because they don't publicize their efforts. As in, are you talking about the farmers right now who don't publicize their ethics? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes, they're not farmers, they're homesteaders because farming is a commercial activity and, and farming is a very, very bad part of the economy to participate in because either food is very cheap, in, in, which, in which case the farmer goes broke, or food is very expensive, in which case there's starvation. So uh, it's a regulated industry and, and nobody in it makes particularly, except for large, large companies, large uh, conglomerates makes any money, but homesteading is where you provide all your own food, and that works extremely well. It's interesting. Yes, I've got a, I've got a few friends, and there's quite a lot of people in their twenties now, right, who have followed this permaculture new movement, which is mm-hmm. to go find a piece of land, be it someone else's or their own families in New Zealand. Obviously, there's a ton of land, and go, mm-hmm. you know, grow food. And that it's incredibly rewarding. I don't think anyone actually has left the land after going and starting it. Um, the the whole fear, though, is always there that 90% of people around you aren't on the farm and most people have a job or most people are setting up a company or most people are traveling the world, right? And so it kind of, it kind of deteriorates those people at the same time. But I do notice a lot of them will end up selling those vegetables at a farmer's market. Which you're proposing yes, well, is a you, bad idea. Well, you can't really make money selling vegetables at a farmer's market. That's just a, a kind of a, a, a way to keep busy, I suppose, maybe have some social interaction. The way to make money off of a, a homestead is to sell livestock, live animals. Yeah. That is not very regulated, and, and it, it's, it's very, a very way, good way to make money. But do, do you think like those things in the future, 250, will still be around you? Growing livestock compared to you know they do talk about these petri dish meats. Well, do you think half of that's fantasy? Well, I think that what isn't fan- fantasy is the stuff that's working. So we have uh, in the United States we have uh, groups of people who have been around for centuries now, yeah. who have been following this uh, homesteading model with extreme success. Their it's, numbers it's are, the homesteading are, are just. Well, it's not really a movement. It's just population groups that are yeah. doing it. Uh, a lot the of them are Anabaptists. Sort of Sorry. Is that like the tiny home sort of like movement? 
No, no, no. That that's a kind of a modern thing. Uh, I'm talking about groups that have been around for centuries. Yeah. Uh, various Anabaptist groups in the United States that I've studied. Right. Yeah. And and they're numerous and they're prosperous and they're doing extremely well. You're right, and they also make a lot of money. Some of them, don't they? Uh, they they have money. Uh, they um, most of their wealth, uh, their their net worth, is invested in. Uh, land, uh, in animals, and in other people. Uh, th th those are the sources of their wealth. And as an example, you're talking about like Amish is obviously one, um, but Mormons, would you classify them as a group? Uh, yes, well, the, the, the Mormons are a little bit different in that they're, they're uh, more of a cult, but um, and, and they're much more top-down. Uh, they're, they're more authoritarian as a group. Uh, but they also have this model of taking care of their own and providing for themselves. Um, they're not uh, that that much invested in living off the land. Some of them are. Yeah. Uh, but they but they do have this this model where uh, they, they'll they'll take care of of their own no matter what happens. Which is a nice model. And do you think those people? In your opinion, there's two sets, right? There's, do you think there's happiness of people, right? And then there's also um, the world itself and how we look after it. Is that is those the two things you think that we should be focused on? And that those two, those sort of religions, as you would say, um, cater towards those two things better than the... Well, I think we is, is a very deceptive word to use. Yeah. Uh, when we talk, when we use the word "we," we include all sorts of people who are beyond our control. Yeah. And if you look at it, at our participation in various groups, we find that uh, even we personally, as parts of that group, are not in control of, of our own destiny in any significant sense. So, but it, but an individual is is incredibly weak and, and can't achieve anything. So it takes small groups. Mm -hmm. up to about 150 individuals. That's the, the magic number. If you exceed it, then basically all dissolves into social friction and, and becomes a management problem. But small groups can achieve great things yeah. uh, left to their own devices. And, and if enough group? of these groups do actually achieve things, then there'll, there'll be a, a sort of a mass effect where uh, good things will be achieved at a larger scale but not because anyone planned that larger scale. It's because it's a composite of small successes. So if we if we end up doing the right thing, it'll be because small groups of people are doing the right thing separately. And what is not the because right they thing? all get together. And what is oh the, the right thing, thing is well if, if if you look at how the world functions right now, it's it, it all just goes into heat waste. So um, if, if you look at how one individual in society who uses money for everything functions, he just generates or she generates waste. Yeah. Um, but if you close the loop, if you have a person living on the land pretty much, you know, hand to mouth, there's no processing. There's no uh, large scale production. There's no transportation. Um, there, there's, there's no management overhead. There's no financial overhead. All of that just evaporates. Suddenly you have a far more efficient way of, of existing and a much tighter loop so that if you're destroying the environment, you find out really quickly because your next harvest will, will yeah. suffer. Um, 
and it's much harder to do large-scale damage in a system like that. But it's a lot of work though, right? It's a lot of work that most people, maybe because of their culture and their upbringing, don't want to jump into. Would you agree? Well, absolutely, but it doesn't matter at all because look at what we have right now. We have a financial scheme that's just going to fail. Which people are also uh, working it, a lot just for a box rather than their own food. Yes, but basically the, the entire economy moves because of credit. Yeah. Um, Credit blew up in 2008. Since yeah. then, uh, uh, central banks around the world have, have been pumping the economy full of fake money at, at ridiculously low rates of interest. Yeah. That is going to blow up too. In fact, it's blowing up right now as we speak. Mm -hmm. It's sort of a slow motion train wreck, but when it actually occurs, it's going to be very sudden and fast. When it happens, access to credit around the world is going to be cut off, and then the global economy is finished. And if it stops for even a few months, there's no way to reconstitute it from that point on. And then nobody will have a job. So the people who have access to land and can grow their own food will survive and the rest won't. And so you've seen this obviously happen in Russia. So people just die, right? That's what you've said in the book. People suddenly they die, die down the street. They, it becomes the yes, new normal do. to know that so-and-so died. It's not even a shock. Yeah, it becomes very mundane. It's just yeah. lots of people go missing left and right. Yeah. And do you feel like that's going to happen globally or China's not going to be affected? Do you think Russia's going to be affected again? Or is, it, is this mainly the USA you're talking about and maybe Australia and the rest of the Commonwealth related to it? How do you see uh, most, pla uh, most places will be affected, but if, if you look at uh, the extent to which this or that country is financialized, uh, the, more, the, the more financialized the country, the more it will be affected. So, for instance, the UK, 25% of the UK economy is uh, various types of financial games that they play with, with themselves and others. Yeah. The United States is the most indebted country in the history of the world. Yeah. Um, when that blows up, pretty much it's, you know, that's game over. Russia has, relatively speaking, no debt. It, it has all of the resources it needs. Um, its trade with other countries is more or less optional. Yeah. So Russia will probably do fine. And what what's the point in the U.S. having all that debt? Why would they go follow the same trajectory as a Russia per se? Oh, basically they they have no choice because uh, they, their political system is um, is rigged in a way that prevents it from actually addressing any systemic problems. They can just paper them over. That's all they can do. It's interesting, eh? So, like, in, in your opinion, you'd get as much money as you could right now, buy a piece of land and probably a boat, and then go grow food on that land. Mm -hmm. Make sure your boat is, has your hull, hull on it, and then go sailing and have, have your land and have your close friends around you doing the same thing, which is actually a... It's going for most people that feels like they're going back, right? And most people won't survive, like you say. Well, yes, yeah, I think you got it right. Um, land, land is great. Access to water is great because water transportation is by far the most efficient. Yeah. So once access to fossil fuels is pretty much finished, then uh, water transportation is all that's left. The issue is, is say you're the person who has the land and has the food growing, you know, say this year, and it collapses next year, 
what happens though is people are just going to kill you for your land, right? Which is what a lot of people have done around the world for a number of years. So both both options are just as bad. So you're probably best to be on the boat and hope no one takes over your land once while you're on the boat. Well, um, that that is greatly exaggerated because if, if access to transportation is pretty much gone, then it's very hard to get around um, to attack enough people to keep going. So uh, a looting operation like that, and it would have to be an operation, so you, you can't have lone individuals. Or it could just be the guy going down the around street, robbing though. people. It could be just the guy down the street who didn't grow food, right? Okay, he didn't grow the food, and now he killed somebody who did grow the food, and now they both starve. Okay, so that's not a successful plan for either of them. No. And, and so what's he going to do, wander further down the street? Well, somebody's going to be ready for him with a pitchfork. So yeah. that's not a successful plan for him either. True. So, so what you're talking about is one guy kills another guy for a bunch of cucumbers, walks down the street looking for more cucumbers, and gets killed. Yeah. Are we at the end of the story now? I think yeah. we are. No, you're you're right. And so what? So where where are you in this? Have you so you have you got a boat already, or is this the boat you're going to start building this year? Uh, well, that's the boat that we're planning. We're um, we're planning it as a, a, a kit boat. That is, it it, it arrives as a, a flat packed sort of IKEA style uh, bunch of parts that can be assembled. Uh, and are they by, made in China? Uh, they can be made anywhere in the world. I'm looking at Russia right now because uh, uh, plywood made of fur is much cheaper and higher quality in Russia than anywhere else in the world. Okay. So that would be a, a really good uh, manufacturing site for for some of the parts. Yeah. But really, it's assembled. It, it's assembled wherever it's going to be used. So there's no in, importation uh, fee. Uh, it's imported as parts. And, um, and how much and do you think it's going to cost? Uh, I, I think the numbers that I've looked at are around uh, uh, 50,000 US. 15? Uh, which is 50. 50 five yeah. zero. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, you know, relative to what it costs for real estate and what it costs to buy a car, that is actually quite a modest price because you're getting both. You're getting transportation and a place to live. And, and what's the and the, the difference with buying yours versus buying a second hand you know, boat with a hull that's already sitting there? Is there much difference? Well, most boats are designed for sport, uh, luxury, and ostentation. Those are the three uses: to show people how rich you are, to show people how sport, sporty you are, or to throw deck parties. Yeah, unless uh, you buy Chinese junk. Well, there are very few, few of those for sale, yeah. and uh, they, they, they are part of a, a, a Chinese way of doing things that most people are not uh, ready to adopt. I know some people who, who've done that. Also, those boats are relatively rare. If, yeah. if you look for one in your area, you will find that there's exactly zero of them for sale. Yeah. So uh, that's the reason that this project got, got started, is, is that there's a real need for practical boats that are designed for a comfortable living aboard for an entire family that can they don't cost you serve as dollars. Yeah, that, that don't cost very much, that are versatile, yeah. uh, adaptable to any climate, any terrain, um, that, that don't require a lot of industrial plant for, for maintenance, don't need haul-out facilities and things like that. Okay. All of those things have been taken into consideration. 
kudos to you for building it. And who are you doing it with? Um, we had so far uh, three engineers involved. I think we're just adding a fourth, who is a marine engineer, who is going to be doing a lot of uh, simulation work on the hull. Uh-huh. Um, and, and so, uh, yeah, it's, it's more or less a four-person team. And so where do you see yourself in 10 years' time? Are you still going to be in Russia, or do you see yourself on one of these boats, you know, possibly in Australia? Uh, possibly both. Uh, yeah. yeah I, I pretty much, you know, I'm a nomad, and, and I do pretty much do whatever I like. Yeah. So I, I, I was in Boston, and I was in Panama, then I was in South Carolina, and now I'm in St. Petersburg. And do you normally um, fly currently? Huh? You fly Sorry? currently, obviously. Uh, yeah, I fly around quite a bit. Yeah. Um, every every few months, I take off in some new direction. Um, I have a young son, so where he goes to school is going to determine where I spend most of the time. How how old is but, he now? Uh, he's going to be six soon, so oh, okay. he'll be going to school soon. And you want to bring him up in Russia? Well, yes, he's pretty much Russian. Yeah. Yeah. So that that'll happen. Well, it's great, and then in like. 2050, you obviously feel like the collapse is going to be happening before then? Oh, yes. No, no question about it. Uh, yeah. Do you have, a, look, you, look have at, you worked out kind of when you think it's going to happen? Oh, well, it, it all basically, it, it has happened in 2008. Yeah. Ever since then, has, has, we've been in the middle of this uh, psychops operation. Uh, by central banks to pretend that it didn't happen by yeah. papering it over with runaway debt. And what stage are we that, at in your five stages? Oh, we're just before financial collapse, depending on how you look at it, or yeah. we're in the midst of it. So this is some some part of financial collapse. And then once financial collapse occurs, then that, that is the trigger for the rest. And do you think that's going to happen in the next two years, ten years? 20 years. It's entirely unpredictable, but saying okay. that it'll happen, saying that this will go on for another 10 years, I, I think is a very difficult argument to make. Another problem is that, you know, the world runs on oil. If yeah. most of the transportation systems we have run on oil, we're finding something like 11% of the oil we're using. That can't go on for very long. What? You know, I was and I was meant to actually today. I was meant to be interviewing Jonathan Porritt, who's you know UK's leading environmentalist. Um, and one of his theories, and in one of his books, I don't know if you know who he is, but is that we, you know, we're currently consuming, I think it is seventy-two barrels or ninety-two x barrels of oil a day, or something like that. Obviously, it's more 90, ninety-two million oh, barrels per day. A day. Yeah, and he thinks it's going to drop in the next, you know, ten years down to fourteen or forty a day. Per, his theory is, which actually mm-hmm. takes the reliance of oil off. Um, and he sees the world as actually a more optimistic view, and you don't know where. This is the problem, isn't it? Half the you know mo- half the world thinks the world's getting better, and half them thinks there's going to be a collapse. And there's so there's just as many arguments for both, right? Or do you disagree? I would disagree. Yeah. And why do you think? I don't think that they're... Well, people who say that the oil demand will drop, think, you know, they're, they're basically talking about either non-existent technology or t- technology that cannot be scaled up, one yeah. or the other. Either they're talking about thorium reactors or, 
or, or fusion reactors or, or some non-existent technology that is half a century away, if it, even if it did exist. Uh, or they're talking about windmills and solar panels, which just produce electricity but don't produce fuels for transport. Without fuels for transport, you don't have a global economy, and so you can erase the rest of it too. And do you own any? Do you own your own land, Dimitri? Uh, my family does. Yeah. Here in Russia. Yeah. And what yes. do you guys grow? Uh, right now, we aren't growing very much. Uh, it, we we used to grow quite a lot. Yeah. Um, then it, it sort of became unnecessary during during the, the bad years. We grew a lot of our own food. Yeah. Uh, we could start doing that again. I think I'm heading in the direction of having bigger harvests. You know, just making sure that you know, that, that we provide enough for ourselves. And, 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 and is it, do you have a son, did you say, or is it a daughter? Son, yes. And, and how do you see your son, you know, when he's 20 years old? You obviously, in your view, he shouldn't be going to high school, let alone college. Should he be on that farm farming it? And would you say oh, that I to don't most know. parents I think today? He'll, he'll finish school in Russia, you know, that's a typical thing. And, yeah. and then... Um, he probably will get some some degree in something, uh, but you know, with, with with children, it's very unpredictable where their interests lie. Yeah. So it's not like I'm going to predetermine his path through life, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I will certainly give give him you know the options to to explore various you know various ways of of, of being um, that that I see you know kids around here embracing very readily. You know, they they get out of the army and and they. They get married and they settle down and they get a couple of cows and that's pretty much the plan. And Suddenly the their, their life is set. Right now. Yeah, and, and it's becoming ever more popular because wherever in Russia you are now, you pretty much have high-speed internet access and pretty good roads to get in and out. And, yeah. and, and so you can enjoy city life and also enjoy country life. And a lot of people are doing that. And that's, that's the way you think more of the world should be living. Yes, I see that the part of the world that will continue uh, as stable and relatively prosperous will have to embrace that as opposed to uh, urbanized, uh, centralized, commercialized arrangements. That's great. And, and, and so what's your next thing? Do you have a new book coming out soon? I know you bought one out at the end of last year, right? And you also uh, yes, about I shrinking the technosphere in 2016. Uh, yes, I, I, I came up with that one, and, and that's that's still selling, getting translated into various languages. Yeah. Um, I don't have a plan for a new book just yet. Um, it, it's a very time-consuming thing to 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 come up with a book. So instead of I'm um, I'm going to just keep writing essays and publishing books of essays. That's doing well enough, and that gives me a chance to in, instead of working on one thing for a year, I work on lots of different things, whatever interests me. And so what would you suggest to a 20-year-old just finished college, you know, he's got $50,000 in debt, probably 100 k in America, and he's just started his first job, he's there for two years and he hates it? Um, I don't know. It depends on the person to such a great extent Yeah. Uh, that it, it's impossible to make, uh, you know, Blanket recommendations and hope but that, that they would be at least useful. Right, that's what you're saying. Sorry? That person has a high chance of dying once financial collapse is over. 
Well, yes, it's uh, it's not it's not a very stable scheme. Um, yeah. um, so, you know, first of all, a lot a lot of those people with that level of debt, you know, they they make uh, some amount of effort to repay it, but uh, something like half of them, uh, even now, will never get out of that debt. Yeah, the economy that would would allow them to repay that debt is just not not doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Um, because you, you, these days in, in the U.S. you have to get a, a high price degree just to get a job serving coffee. Um, Touche. I know it's and it's 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 a ridiculous scheme. So yeah, what do, what can people? Well, people, young people do whatever they're told to do. I was in that trap myself. I was told to, to go get a degree. Yeah. Uh, I was strong-minded enough that I basically, uh, first of all, I got a lot of grants. Um, so I was on grant money most of the time. From and the secondly, government? I, no, no, from the American government. Oh, okay. Uh, so I, I sort of cleaned up on that. So I wasn't in very much debt, and then I decided that I will just stick around at the university and work a job at the university until the university pays off all my debt, which I did. Yeah. Congrats. And only, only after <laughs> that I was like, okay, now I'm done with you, and you're done with me. Goodbye. Yeah. And Amazing. From that point on, from that point on, I've never worked a, a job that had anything to do with my degree. Congratulations. Well, you've done well, apart from your degrees. Degrees in economics or is it in engineering? It was in engineering. Okay. Well, now you're building a boat, so it's practically the same thing, isn't it? Except you're working for yourself. Not at all. I didn't learn anything about boat design in engineering school. Yeah. Zero. Um, and who inspires you? Who, who, who inspires you? Oh, I don't know. I see people in daily life that inspire me, yeah. for example. I... I I, I mostly work with direct experience, uh, yeah. as opposed to people I uh, people I read or various luminaries. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't get very much useful information from books. No, but you love writing them. No. I don't know. It's it's. I guess it's something to do, and it's effective. It's I, I do I do that to to communicate. And I think you also bring out uh, lots of good points. I remember, you know, I just finished my law degree reading Five Stages of Collapse, which must have been like 2.13 now or something. And um, how many people have read, bought that book, by the way? I don't know. It's uh, probably a few tens of thousands. And I remember reading it, and you had one point in there about how, you know, I was going to the gym every day at that point, <laughs> about how we run around like, a, you know, run around the plot running like a dog, and mm -hmm. I've never been able to get that out of my head, how, and how the dog's been civilized, and then the humans have been civilized, and today I was telling a guy about it before we were chatting about how that point, and he's like, and I also brought up the Land Rover point, and he was just mm -hmm. like, it's so interesting, because it's just a totally different way of seeing everything, and it's a kind of a mm -hmm. bummer that it's not more popularized, these different views of seeing it, right, of the Land Rover, yeah. or that we're being domesticated dogs, um, running around the house or running around the uh, our box that we just paid, you know, a thousand bucks a week in Australia for. Um, mm -hmm. And the hardest thing is, is people don't want to believe that story, I think, because it just confirms everything they've been told their whole lives, which is very hard to get rid Well, yes, it's, it's the, the biggest problem with uh, this, this sort of truth is that 
it induces cognitive dissonance. It makes people unsure of everything they have been led to believe. But what they have been led to believe is, is not in their interest, in their own interest. It's in the interest of the government, which won't do anything that might shrink the tax base. Yeah. Uh, and it's in the interest of various commercial entities that won't, won't say anything that might harm their profit, and their, their profit margins. So there's actually, so there's actually two places you should be if you want to be a successful human, right? There's one place is to go get that mangrove food and buy, buy or build a boat that's sustainable and not just about showing. That's one option. And the second option is to go work out how the hell you're going to become a politician so at least you can survive. Well, you can work your way up the food chain, but that's, that only works for the very few. Yeah. So that's not, that's not advice you might you could give people, it's more like something that happens in, yeah. in a few cases. But um, the people who make it all the way up the food chain are generally the people who can't be stopped from doing that sort of thing. So it's not like anybody should be in the business of giving them advice. Well, it's no wonder Donald Trump's become quite the nutcase. Well, I don't know. I think he's been doomed from the start. If you look at who his father is, what, what could he have done in life? Other than become Donald Trump, touche. Yeah, zero. Yeah, he had zero options. Yeah, well, he could have. He could have just gone and lived the dream and done nothing else. Yeah, he could have become a layabout, but uh, yeah. he, he was sent into a military academy, which sort of uh, molded him. Touche. Well, thanks so much. It's been great having you on the show. Um, we might have mm -hmm. to get you back on when Laura's back and have another chat. All right. She has some things to ask you. Enjoy the rest of yeah, your day in uh, Russia, and we'll, uh, I'll um, keep you posted on when the show's up. All right, thank you very Thanks much. Have a great day. See you, bye-bye.